Thank you. Thank you for your welcome as well. What a lovely bunch of people you are. <laughs> Quiet, but lovely. And uh, what a great place to have a church, right? In the smack in the middle of this, uh, this estate. Look, I mean, like, it's a wonderful. Some, some churches find themselves, well, sometimes it's easier to find... Um, the underground church in China than it is to find some of our church buildings, but this is this is um, right in the middle of a wonderful place, isn't it? Fantastic, and uh, God's placed you in in a great opportunity. Um, a little bit about ourselves, and uh, we we've had two churches. We pastored two churches, and the first church was in the Lake District. So coming in here. Oh, great. Windermere, Langdale. It's wonderful. Um, it seems to be that there's these Lake District areas uh, scattered around the UK. So we were there. We did a church plant um, in Penrith, um, not far from Ullswater, uh, obviously. And, and then we, we were pastoring for 17 years uh, in West Yorkshire, in Dewsbury. And um, around about the year 2000, 2001, pr- um, prior to having nothing to do with overseas missions work at all, God changed my heart and um, I went on my first missions trip and it ruined my life and it was not the same ever again. And so to come in and see the map uh, and the flags and... Uh, Again, you know, it's a nice welcome uh, for my, my spirit as my, my heart is missions. And um, when you look at the map there, for the, for, from the year 2013 to 18, I, I was the missions director. My, what I did in those five years was to join the dots up, basically, of Elam around the world. And now it's become a wonderful family and uh, known as Elam Global. Uh, in 57 nations at the moment. And so then um, in 2018, um, I was taken from... Am I on the baptism tank? Yes. Wow. It's safer. Yeah. Don't, <laughs> Don't jump. <laughs> I've just said, is it safe? <laughs> and he said, oh yeah, you said, Don't jump. <laughs> so, Do you? No okay, it just creaked a little bit there and I thought... Ah, you've done this to your visitors before, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so in 2018, um, I was asked to come and uh, succeed Gordon Neal, which has been mentioned. And uh, yeah, and it's a, it's a joy to, to have gotten to know uh, your pastor uh, recently and over the last year, to, uh, last year, 18 months. And now we look forward to seeing the um, power behind the throne, of course. Uh, Jill, later. <laughs> so uh, that's a, a little bit. Greta and myself, we've been married 32 years. Is it 32? It seemed, if we had time for Greta's testimony, she'd say, it seems like three. It's been a blast living with me. And uh, um, we've got two children, and they're both uh, ministers in training. One's in Derby and one's in um, Christian Life Church in well, Derby City Church, one's in there, um, and one's in the Christian Life Church in, uh, in Birmingham. So we're, we're thankful to God for, for all that he's done for us. 
So, um, yeah, it's a joy uh, to come and share with you. And uh, I wonder if... Um, don't, don't leave the building when I ask you to do this. And if you don't want to do it, it's fine. But has anybody got any paper and a pen? Yes. Now that you've said yes, you're going to have to do it. Okay, I want you to do something. A little exercise. You don't have to leave your chair. And you, it's not going to be too strenuous. Um, but other people will watch you do it. Um, if you've got a pen and a paper, just give me a little wave. Have you got a pen and paper? Yeah, good, 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 good. Okay, so I'm going to give you one minute to do this. So, are you ready? Have you got a pen and paper? Are you ready? Okay. Simply, oh, well, I'll wait for this lady here because I, I don't want you to be behind and the people ahead of you. But take your time. Okay, are you ready? Oh, you brought somebody else in on it. Good. Uh, I want you to draw a house. Go. You've got, you got 45 seconds. Go. Draw a house. Okay, you got 10 seconds. All right, stop. Uh, I, will, I will refer to that. That wasn't just an icebreaker. Uh, I'll refer to that in a moment. But I just, I, I told you about how our second church, we were there in Dewsbury. We were there actually for 17 years. And I recall the... The, the day that we left, the service that we left in the, ch- the church were our family. We brought our children up in that church. In fact, it was my home church. We got married there, um, my home church, since I was a, a teenager. And um, so, so leaving that church was quite a, an emotional thing, and the church did, did as well. Um, lots of, uh, you know, the building was full. Um, it was a great farewell service. Lots of people sharing some nice things, and it was wonderful. I was standing there in the corner of my eye, and please, this has got nothing. If you're sitting on the back row, it's fine. If I were you, I'd, I think I'd sit on the back row. It's nice. You get a, a better perspective of everybody, see if they're singing or not. Um, but, but out of the corner of my eye, I caught this couple who were sitting in their favorite seats. I don't know if you have any, I don't know if you have favorite seats. Well, we're not going to admit it, are we? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so in the corner of my eye was uh, this couple that had been with me the whole 17 years. And um, I looked at them and I thought, you've not changed one bit since the day you walked into this church. They were looking exactly the same as they did 17 years ago. And I thought to myself, I thought, I've looked at that for 17 years. <laughs> Every week. There was the epitome of, either Lord, do not change. Um, you know, that was their face. That was their church face. And we, we'd gone through all kinds of highs and building projects. And, and, and the church had grown and everything. But this couple um, just remained the same. It's like me, um, well, 
before I go to that. Um, look, at the, look at the house that you've just drawn. Just show it to the person next to you. Can it, would you mind if I have a look at somebody's? Would, can, is this yours, sir? Is this, can I just have a quick look at this? Uh, okay, I thought so. Um, so, so, what's your name? Hmm? Jonathan, how old are you? Do you realize you've been drawing this house probably the same like this since you were five? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, how old are you? 17. 17. Some of the, do you mind me having a look at your little house? Do you mind? <laughs> because you're such a nice lady. You welcome. Mm. Since the age you were five years of age, you've been drawing that house. What you've probably been doing is that you, you've got a little square. You've got four little squares in that square, now, and then you have a pitched roof. And if you think you're clever today, you put a little bit of smoke coming out of it, haven't you? And you think, look at that, a little bit of smoke coming out, yeah? And, and then if you've been really, really clever, you've got a little path, like that, a little path, yeah? You've not changed. He's got a telegraph pole. Well, he's clever, you know. Um, you not changed since the very first day when you were in school and they said, draw a house. That's my house. That's how it is. That's what it looks like. Um, I want to speak into this kind of thing, you see, because um, some people are locked into an experience of God, a knowledge of God that has not changed since the first time they came to know it. And yet, we know that the Apostle Paul says this, I want to know Christ. If the Apostle Paul, with all of the revelations, surpassing revelations, that he knew of Christ, if he was able to say, and it's recorded in Scripture, I want to know Christ, meaning... There is more to Christ than I already know. If he could say that, how much more you and me, who have been perhaps on our Christian journey also quite some time, how much more can we say, you know what, I have a revelation of God, I know Christ, but I want to know so much more. That's what I want to speak into today. Whenever God reveals himself to us, throughout, throughout the scripture, we're going to look into it in a moment. Whenever God reveals himself in scripture, he, he first reveals his name. This is my name. But it's not just a case of, I want you to collect names of who I am. Um, so, for example, Jeremiah says, um, in, in chapter 23... Um, a, a king will reign wisely and do what is just and right. He will be called, so it's messianic, so speaking about the Messiah Jesus to come. He will be called the Lord our righteousness. And all the way through the Old Testament, you have this, he, he will be called, when it's speaking about Jesus, he will be called the Lord our Rophe, healer. The Lord our Sidkenu righteousness. And, and when God comes and says, here's my name, it's not because he's wanting just to collect names, you know, in our mind, 
But he's indicating to us this. This isn't my name, but I want you to understand, this is what I intend to do. Now, for us, in our Western culture, we just gather names. We don't, I mean, we may, we may know the meaning of our name. I mean, thanks to my parents, they gave me a name which means, well, actually, my name is Andrew Paul Hudson, but I'm called Paul Andrew means manly, strong. Paul means small. <laughs> Thanks, parents, you know, for insisting that I'll be called by my middle name. Um, maybe they're trying to make sure I was humble uh, in my life. I, I don't know whether we, we understand the meanings of our names, and, but actually in our culture, we perhaps it's not important for us. But certainly in the biblical culture, and, and certainly for what God seems to be saying throughout scriptures, is, is when I give you my name, it's not just me giving you my name and what, it mean, what the meaning is. It's my, what I intend to do in your life. It's about a revelation that you're going to come into and step into and what I'm going to do in you and in the community or in the world in the season to come. So, when Moses is standing before the burning bush, can you remember that story? God says to Moses in Exodus 6, Moses, I appeared as God Almighty, El Shaddai, But my name, Lord, or I am, or Yahweh, I did not make known. What God said to Moses was, Moses, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who came before you, they only knew me as God Almighty, as a God who did big things and and was, was strong and mighty. That's all they knew me as. But Moses, I'm going to give you a revelation of who I am. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. I am God the Redeemer. And the reason why I'm giving you a revelation of me being a Redeemer is because of what I intend to do through your life, and that is you are going to be the Redeemer of my people, and you're going to bring them out of the, uh, through the Exodus. So is it possible, the answer is yes, that we can carry around in our life a picture of God, a revelation of his nature and his intention of what he does in our life that has not changed since the first day we came to know it? Yes, it is. It's also possible for a whole church, a community to be locked into a locked-in syndrome, locked into one aspect of God's nature. So you can walk into a particular church that, <laughs> it works really well in Africa. Uh, when you In Africa, they, the names of the churches are really, really important uh, because they want to communicate something that's... Um, so uh, they will have uh, names like the Deliverance Church. Now, what do you think happens in that church? <laughs> yeah? You know, if you're on deliverance, you go there, you know, and, 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 and yet, however, they, be, they become, no, that's all they become known for, because they get locked into it. Similarly, in our culture, we, we can get locked into one aspect, like his judgment, and so you walk in, and it's, it's a bit heavy, or you can be locked into his grace only, and, and our preaching, and our prayers, and how we do our church can be 
can, we, can, can reflect that. But because of a lack of ongoing revelation of God, we do not grow in the things of God. You see, as revelation changes, so does our prayer life. When revelation changes, we pray differently, we speak differently, we step out in faith differently, we do things differently. We talk about God in ways that use a whole new vocabulary and everything changes. Everything changes in the church community. Everything changes at home. Everything changes in the way that we perceive our, what we do with our, in work or in our neighborhood. Everything changes. Why? Because it's like a light's come on and, and a revelation has hit our lives and it's all different now. Let me um, show you this a little bit. Uh, I'll show you a couple of things very quickly. Then I want to take you on to a, this th- a third point, which we'll, we'll, we'll stay a little while on. The first revelation that you probably came into understanding God is the revelation that he is your redeemer. That's probably nine times out of ten for all of us, when we came to Christ for the very first time, we came to understand that Jesus is the new Moses, our Redeemer. In fact, the the story of Jesus' birth is very parallel to the story of Moses' birth. If you understand those two things, and you are to look at Exodus 1, and you look at Matthew 2, and you see the circumstances, the environment uh, 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 at that particular time. We've got a Pharaoh, we've got a Herod. They both are wanting to kill the small, innocent children. And there's a parallel story taking place on purpose. And Moses is the Redeemer. He understands Um, the Redeemer revelation, and Jesus comes uh, to fulfill Moses and to be the new Redeemer, the Redeemer of God. And um, as Moses was born into such conditions, so the Son of God was incarnated into similar ones. Now, with the revelation of the Redeemer God in your life, I can tell you what you are praying. I know how you pray. If you have the Redeemer revelation in your life, the prayers of that Redeemer revelation is this. Help me, Jesus. Save me, Jesus. Deliver me, Jesus. Get me out of this, Jesus. Where are you, Jesus? I'm stuck, Jesus. I need your help, Jesus. It's because, why? And there's nothing wrong with those prayers. It's the first prayers we come into when we we come to know Jesus. That Jesus is the lifter of our heads. Jesus is the one who brings us out. Jesus is the one who will rescue you. Now, there's nothing wrong with that Redeemer revelation. But I've, we've had two children, and when they were born, they came in to understand. They came to understand that all they needed to do is bore their head off, lift their hands up, and they'd be picked up. If they fell down, you know. I'd, I, me, Greta would run and pick them up, dust them down, say, it's okay, because mom and dad, we are your redeemer. Now, Daniel is now 27, he's married for three years. If he falls down, I don't care less. <laughs> Why? Because I don't want him to stay in the redeemer revelation. There's nothing wrong that I will be there for him. I'll be there for him all, the, all of his life. 
I, if he called me and said, God, Dad, I need your help, I'm going to go running to him. But I don't want him to be stayed. I don't want him to be locked into that revelation. I want him to grow, do you see? I want him to develop, do you see? There's, a, there's another revelation that perhaps you've moved into that, that, that I can just say very, very quickly. Uh, and that is this, is that whenever Jesus was, 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 was shoved into a corner with loads of questions and antagonist, antagonistic questions and trying to trip him up, he always brought a perspective of life that uh, would, would bring us right back to the beginning. So when, he was, when they were trying to trip him up in Matthew 19 about divorce, he, 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 he would say, well, what does it say at the beginning? Uh, and he was forever bringing them right back, with, not only to Abraham, but even right back to, the, to, the, to day one. And the Apostle Paul understood that. You see, there's another revelation which is not just about Moses um, and the Redeemer and Jesus being the Redeemer as Moses was. But the Apostle Paul understood and he wrote about this in, 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 in his letter to the Corinthians when he says that Jesus is the last Adam. You see? And the revelation is this, is that not only is Jesus our Redeemer, but he's our Creator. Jesus came to do what the first Adam failed to do. Now, how did God reveal himself at the beginning before he revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty? Right at the beginning, the first few words in the Bible, in the beginning, God. That's in the beginning, El Elohim. In the beginning, God created. God the Creator. That's his name. That's what he, he intended to do, and that's what he did, create a God. Now, if you've got this revelation in your life, I know what you're praying. I know what you're praying. You see, just like I know that if, if you understand Redeemer, I know that you're praying, Jesus, help me, Jesus, save me, Jesus, deliver me, Jesus. That if you've got the creator revelation in your life, when things are going on in your life, you're, you're not praying the Redeemer revelation because actually you've come to understand something new that God is, is the creator, Jesus is the creator. And so when you are saying, Jesus, you're not, you're not praying, help me. You're saying this, give me wisdom, give me strategies to know what to do Give me the keys. Give me the understanding. Because I know you're the creator. I know you're the one who is the master architect. I know you are the one who can, who, who's writing story of my life. And I want you to show me what to do. I don't want you to get me out of it. I want you to show me what to do in it. It's a massive change. Massive change. And I don't want my, my children to spend their whole life phoning me up saying, Dad, get me out of this, get me out of this. I want them to grow in wisdom and grow in the revelation that actually within them is the capacity that no matter what is, what's going on in their life, that they can seek Jesus who is the one who can help them 
get through it, not lifting them out of it. Do you understand? And so today, in your situation, circumstance, there's nothing wrong with saying, Jesus, help me, get me out of here. But maybe he doesn't want to do that. Maybe he wants to say to you, I want to help you through it. I want to help you to get through this. Now, I want to take you on to this third and, and spend a little time, if I may. Can you open your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 4? Luke chapter 4. So, this third revelation is this, is that I, I explained that Jesus is um, the new redeemer, um, Moses, the new redeemer. I've explained that Jesus is the last Adam, the creator. I want to say this to you, that Jesus is the root of David, our Messiah. One of the last things in the Bible that's said about Jesus, well, Jesus says of himself, I am the root and the offspring of David. Now, what, did he, what, does, he, what does he mean about this revelation of the Messiah? So Jesus comes into... Um, Bible, isn't there? Jesus comes into the synagogue in, in Nazareth. And um, just as he would, was, would often do, they asked him to come and read. So he comes forward. You know, it's just like your pastor saying, right, who, we'd like you to read now. Uh, somebody comes forward and reads. So he comes forward and they hand him uh, the scroll of Isaiah. And he's standing there a little while and he's... Um, He's, he's in verse 14, I'm round about there, verse 16. Verse 16. He's, uh, he finds Isaiah 61. And he takes the scroll, opens it up, Isaiah 61. He finds Isaiah 61 on purpose, for a reason, because on that day, he's going to bring a new revelation of who God is, and particularly who he is. But this, what he was going to do at that moment was one of the most shocking things and would lead to them being incredibly offended, though there was a lot of confusion. Here he goes. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Now he doesn't say what it says in Isaiah 61, which is he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. He leaves that out. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. And then he adds in there, and recovery of sight for the blind. It's not in Isaiah 61, but he puts it in. I suppose if it's Jesus the Word, he can do whatever he wants with the Word, you know. Um, but why does he add recovery of sight for the blind when it's not in Isaiah 61? If you turn to Isaiah 61, you'd never find it. It's not there. Why does he put that there? Perhaps it's because the Jews uh, believe that when the Messiah comes... He will open up blind eyes. Um, he then uh, takes from a different part of Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 58, verse 6, and he, he puts in there, to release the oppressed. It's, it, it's not in Isaiah 61, but he puts it in there, from Isaiah 58. They know, they know that, that verse. In fact, they know the whole of Isaiah verbatim. And they, when, he, when he puts in a verse, they know the whole of the chapter. Then he ends to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But then he leaves out, uh, which is a very important part in Isaiah 61. He doesn't say the day of vengeance of our God. 
So he's made a right mess of this public reading of Isaiah 61. Um, and yet he must have read it quite well. There's a bit of confusion taking place at that time. Um, they, 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 it says in the NIV, NIV, all spoke well of him. There's confusion as to whether they all spoke well of him. And some different translations have, have a different understanding of that. But what is very, 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 very true is this. He didn't just sit down. Um, he then went on to tell two stories, uh, one of the widow of Zarephath and one of Naaman of Damascus. And when he told... Now, these two stories were, were stories of... Um, and this was Nazareth, which was a settler town in Galilee. Um, Galilee had become known as the... Um, Galilee of the Gentiles, and the Jewish plan was to move all the Jewish people onto Gentile land and take, take the land. And their overriding prophecy of what they were doing in the, in the land grab is Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 was their major prophecy for doing the land grab because it's their land, their promised land. And the prophecy of the coming Messiah promised great things. So in Isaiah 61, there would be a day of vengeance of God. That's what they believe. Uh, in verse 4 to 11 in Isaiah 61, we are rebuilding and restoring places, places like Nazareth. In verse 7, there's a promise of a double portion. In verse 5 and verse 6 of Isaiah 61, the Gentiles around them will become their servants and the Jews will become wealthy because of the Gentiles. But Jesus stops reading this popular, well-known passage at the point at which judgment and submission is pronounced on the Gentiles. You see, when Jesus picks up Isaiah 61, in their mind they automatically believe in the, in the past revelation, they automatically believed that this is all about the Jews. This is all about them gaining land. This is all about them um, uh, being on top of the Gentiles and the Gentiles serving them. But Jesus stops reading this passage at the point at which judgment is pronounced on the Gentiles, whom the Nazareth settlers were there to displace. Also places like Zarephath and Damascus. So when Jesus tells two grace stories, two stories of love from God upon individuals in Zarephath and Damascus, grace upon the Gentiles, love stories from God upon the Gentiles, upon the outsiders, well, they become really furious because they realize they've taken two Old Testament... He's, Jesus has taken two Old Testament stories and he's connected it to Isaiah 61 where he's removed all the judgment, he's removed all the oppression and he's turning things upside down and he says in verse 21, today this scripture is fulfilled and one of the things the Messiah does is what you never expected and it is regarding justice. So to release the oppressed is not in Isaiah 61, it's in Isaiah 58, where it's used, and they knew this full well. We don't know it, because we don't know our scriptures like the Jews. But they knew, they, they know it full well, that to release the oppressed is set in Isaiah 58, where it's in the context of God not being impressed by your empty religious gestures. It does not impress me one bit. 
And he takes you from that. They understand what he's doing. The use of that phrase from that context is significant in that Jesus was communicating to those people who carried this sense of justice in their life. I'm a just man. I'm a just woman. Meaning, I do not, I do not break the commandments. I'm better than people outside um, uh, of this synagogue. I, I, I'm a righteous man. I'm a righteous woman. And Jesus is saying this by using two stories of reaching the Gentiles. That the justice of the Messiah is compassion for the weak and the exhausted among those who, down, who are downtrodden and the outcast. Now, what does this change of revelation mean? What does it mean when the revelation of the Messiah gets into your heart and you understand why Jesus came and how he takes on the Jew and says it's not about you? How does this affect you? Let me give you three quick ways. Firstly, God's ways are not our ways. We must not be so sure about God's responses to situations. I've been in the church all my life. My, my, my father was a, a pastor. And um, it's amazing how many experts there are in church. Amen? It's amazing. Oh, I know. I, that's not God. That's God. That's, no, that's not God. No, no. No, he wouldn't do that. You know. Uh, excuse me. How do you know? Um, are you God? Um, no. Right. So you don't know. Um, Jesus took a text of judgment, you see. Text of judgment. Passed down generationally. Steeped in their culture and their practice. And turns it into a text of mercy. Now. It offends. Mercy offends. When you're expecting judgment. Isaiah 61, the revelation settled and yet they're banking on, they're banking on judgment because of it. And Jesus says, hmm, you, don't, you think you know God's ways, but you don't. The revelation of the Messiah says this, mercy triumphs over judgment every time. Amen? Secondly, think less of yourself. The, 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 these are points for, us, for ourselves. Think less of yourself. So God's ways are not your ways. Secondly, think less of me. Don't let your Christian experience or the church become some kind of narrow-minded community. I love what you're doing in the church. I love that you're advancing. You've got lots of community things going on and, and you're trying to reach people. Keep doing that. You see, the Jews thought that the Messi- Messianic age was going to be a golden age all about them. In fact, it, they will be the center of the messianic age. And Jesus shifts the text from, here is what you're going to receive into this. Here is what I am expecting you to give. And they didn't like it. Before you met Christ and you came into church, um, and you came to church for the first, remember when you came to church for the first time? It was all about you. Because you were lost. And people were trying to 
bring you to Christ. And so they, they showed you to your seat. They, they said, do you, need a, do you need a loo? Do you need a cup of tea? It's, is it warm enough? They were all over you, yeah? And, uh, and if, if you're new today, you might have found that today. Why? Because the church loves the lost. Then you get saved, get baptized, become a member of the church, find your own cup of tea, you know, find your own seat. <laughs> you realize, hold on a moment, I thought this was all about me. Yeah, no, only up to a point. When you become a member of the church, it's never about you. It's always about the lost. It's always about them. And you know, and that's what happens in church life. Not, not, I don't know, don't know the, the story at all. It's, it's quite nice. I can speak frankly. But in church, in churches, you know, people who have got this thought that it's all about me. Well, they do. They just end up going all around the churches. You know, spend a couple of years here, a couple of years there, a couple of years there. Why? Because like after a couple, well, there's no love here. There's no love here. You know, I'm not having my needs met. You know. I've had a bunion, and pastor's not been to see me over my bunion, you know, and it's a disguise. The elders should have anointed it with oil. I mean, come on, uh, would you? No way. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm playing. But I think people move around. Why? Because it's all about them. It's, ne- it's never about us as a church. Never. It's not about whether you, you, you know, you think we should sing this song or that song or no songs. It's not about whether, you know, John's rubbish on the piano I said that on purpose um, <laughs> it's not about you it's not about you at all it's about, it's about all this lot out here that's what it's about and, and the third thing is being holistic is the only way because yeah we do need words we need preaching we need proclaiming but we need the heart we need justice amongst the downtrodden and amongst the outcasts of Nuneaton, we need action to show compassion and opening our life to those who are, who are bound. So let me wrap this up and say this, God is a revealer God. And let's not stagnate in one revelation. So let me just build, put all this together now and say this to you. And then I close. I'll hand back to your pastor. Jesus is our redeemer. He is the new Moses. There's nothing that he can't redeem. And our Redeemer God reveals himself to us and we, we're so thankful. And, and so we learn a prayer and our prayer is this, where are you? Uh, will you? Will you save me? Will you help me? And it's a wonderful relationship. But we can't stay there. We, you know, there's more to it than that. Um, if we stay locked into that, it's like drawing a house. 50 years after you've driven, uh, drawn your first one, it's the same one. He's our created Jesus, the last Adam, and he's going to give you the strategies for your life, for your circumstance. You may be in a difficult situation today, and he will give you the wisdom and understanding what to do so that um, you can invade your culture. And our, and our creator God is revealed in us, and our prayer shifts from where are you to this. Simply, Jesus... Today, what do you want me to do? In this situation, what do you want me to do? Create a Jesus. But then the third revelation I've given you is that he's our Messiah, Jesus, the root of David. And, and this Messiah is a seeking God, he's a sending God, he's a compassionate God. And, and when the 
fire hits your heart. And when you were walking with the Messiah revelation, and underneath that revelation, you're not praying, where are you? You're not praying, what do you want me to do only? But you are praying this prayer. Here I am. Send me. Send me to those outside this place. Send me to my neighbors. Send me to my family. And let's take our circumstance of our life and let's make that shift. Where are you? To what do you want me to do? To here am I. Send me. May the shift of revelation start today and may you continue to seek after a God who is so big, who is so full of revelation that it's going to take all eternity to know him. May God bless you today. Thank you.